Hello and welcome to The Word, Women in Properties podcast sponsored by BECG, the Built Environment Communications Group. Today we continue the conversation in this, the second of two podcasts addressing how we as individuals and communities can instill the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Jane Findlay, President of the Landscape Institute, and Leslie Roberts, Chair of Soho Housing, are our guests. So could I ask you both to introduce yourselves? Jane, would you go first? Thanks, Sue. Um, yes, I'm, I'm a landscape architect primarily and director and founder of FIRA, which is a, a landscape and urban design practice based in Birmingham's Jewellery Quarter. Thank you. Leslie? I, um, my day job is uh, I work for Allsop, which is a property company, and um, I head up the uh, build to rent and the operational side of that for um, um, probably over 12,000 residents now on behalf of investors um, who work in the build to rent sector and, and use that um, asset class as part of their you know, pension funds and returns. I'm also chair of Soho Housing. I've been doing that for about nine years, a uh, very niche housing provider in the centre of London. So do you think there'll be any significant change to uh, the way we will design our towns and cities of the future? Well, I do actually, because I think I read the other day that the, the London population is decreasing for the first time in a, uh, someone said ever and then they said well, what about the war and I said okay yeah now you're quite right that's um but in a significant in a significant um period of time you know London has obviously been the mecca of, of of all things new shiny and fantastic and and we are seeing a population decrease because exactly to to the point is that the, the person who lives in a high, in a high rise in in Birmingham or in London with no balcony space and, and little opening windows if is claustrophobic and you know the exacerbated by the fact that you know you you put isolation you know homeschooling working from home lack of amenity everything on top of that and it, it's enough to make anybody crazy and want to um move um and again i think we're recalibrating sort of what's important to us and and giving people some space to think about that rather than just be on the, the rat wheel you know or the mouse wheel every day all day and you know it comes down to a personal experience that we were all recalibrating this i i think gosh how did i ever fit in you know an hour and a half to two hours of <laughs> commuting every day as well as keeping up and doing that and doing that and i you know i personally <laughs> fancy going back to the office five days a week but i obviously miss an awful lot about the, the the socialization the collaboration the sharing the human contact the camaraderie the interesting things that you see along the way on your journeys all around the cities traveling around the country and seeing amazing things happening and and learning about how our built environment is is um evolving and what consumers you know want and how they are choosing to live and and that sort of stuff is is obviously a huge gap in our lives. So I think that we are recalibrating what's important. We've been given some space um, to re to actually think about that because we were on such a rat race before. Um, and I think what, as I said before, what's going to eventuate is when once we have a free the benefit of free movement and a free market of of how we live, how we work. Um, 
and with the benefits of good infrastructure for broadband, um, <laughs> then we will start to see a new normal. And I, I think, Jane, you're absolutely right that green spaces, um, quality of air, water, um, communities, health and well-being, you know, pollution, you know, waste, ecology, all those things start to rise up on the agenda of, of individuals' um, value proposition because we've kind of taste, tasted the Kool-Aid, if you like. We've, we've, we've tasted something a little bit different and we know what the other detractors from working from home and being in this environment, but we also know what the benefits are of space, light, quality of environment. Um, and I think that we can, we can make the most of that and we, should, we should, certainly should when it comes to developing new, new spaces. So, you know, go back, go, going back to the point about when investors call from the US now saying, what do, should we be recalibrating? Um, what we put into the design and so forth. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, because, but it's still changing. So, you know, my advice sort of moves a, a little bit, but flexibility in, in, our, um, in our design is really important. So, and I've all, we've always said that, that's, that's always been the position because when we talk about amenity spaces, you know, once upon a time, the juice bar was incredibly favorable and then it moves to, you know, yoga, and now it's on to hit or to Peloton is, a, you know, the, the biggest thing now. Um, but, you know, co-working um, is now such a big thing and actually working from home. So our spaces need to be flexible for the for the changing trends um, of, of how our people like to live, work, play with the consideration, because some people say, well, should we be building in, you know, copper buttons and all this kind of stuff, naturally antibacterial surfaces, um, you know, demisting sort of ozone kill, not, what do they call those infrared lights that do the whole, like, de, um, that they get rid of all the bacteria and stuff in the air. Should we building, you know, that sort of stuff into the developments and essentially trying to, uh, what's the word? protect or um, um, make your make your building sort of like um, COVID proof. And I'm like, well, yes and no, because we still want to live. We still, and, and a vaccine really is the only solution in that regard, in my opinion. But we are also going to see the way people um, behave on an individual level change. Like it was interesting, um, I can't remember if I was talking to somebody, about how there is concerns that things like I have a dog um, and she goes to doggy daycare once 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 a week, so we both get a bit of a break, right? <laughs> and um, and I'm not home schooling. Uh, so and someone said to me, "Oh yeah, there's go, there's a real problem with dogs um, socialising and actually being aggressive," and it made me think about how that impacts on like you know children who are going to have fallout from this about the socialization and not really understand what is normal when it comes into behaviors because they've their formative years have been so affected by this isolation and um i don't know it's just an interesting topic and i think it form it, it forms part of this whole um sustainable well-being around individuals jane what do you think yeah well it's 
difficult to assess just how much it's going it's going to affect every aspect of our lives going forward and how much we're going to take with us and sort of going back to the uh, subject of how we design our towns and cities in the, in the future I just find it um, really interesting the uh, sort of dichotomy that we have on on one hand you're saying that everybody's moving out of London but if you'd spoken if we were talking about this this time last year we would have been talking about mega cities London increasing in size Birmingham increasing uh, mega cities around the world that 90% uh, of the human population would be living in, in these cities by the end, end of the decade. Uh, we'd all be using public transport and getting rid of our cars. And now we've had a situation, uh, which is all good, by the way, for uh, for climate change, is, is to get everybody together and, and make it more efficient and, and not build on, on green belts and uh, reduce carbon because we're and uh, pollution because we're not using um, private transport. But now everybody wants more space. You're saying people are leaving London, uh, uh, city centres uh, are, are um, quiet because the, the, the offices, even before this current lockdown, offices were half empty. And some of the businesses around those offices were, were uh, badly affected. So, you know, little coffee shops and so on. So the heart of the city is really being affected by this. And how, if that ever comes back properly, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's a real shame if it doesn't, but it will be interesting to see. But people started relying again on, on um, uh, private transport. The, the traffic jams are just as bad in the cities. There's nobody on the trains or the buses. And so we've got these uh, people are too scared almost now to to be in, in areas with other people. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out over the next months and years and whether it does impact on our sort of the previous sort of thoughts about how we design um, our towns and cities. Um, I think it's a really interesting time to be a designer. I guess it's it's an unnerving time to be a developer because uh, you're having to relearn um, uh, yeah. a new norm, if you like, because uh, uh, and advising your clients, it's very difficult because you were rightly saying about these knee-jerk reactions to uh, to COVID, we've seen bicycle lanes pop up all over the place in the Midlands, and some of them are completely inappropriate, but it was a knee-jerk reaction, and thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds have been wasted um, without really thinking these things through. So uh, I can see the dilemma some of your clients must have, your investors must have. Um, yeah. We need, we need time to just think about it a bit, don't we? If you think, Jane, if the, the the situation is that you know developers and investors build dense more, more densely mostly because it's more cost efficient and also you get better pound per square foot really and also the cost of land is exorbitant in the cities so to make the investment stack up and pay pay back um you know what your shareholders expect you to return it sort of it puts pressure on those sorts of things and this is actually where i think government possibly could play some parts in thinking about, you know, the, the planning requirements and the pressures that they put on um, on the system or on, on the requirements for developers to and investors to 
um, to perform to. However, the, you know, the land prices are essentially part of the free market, so you know, demand and supply. And what I find interesting about that is also from a population, accommodating the population and the needs of, of the of the housing market, and we have such an incredibly um, dire need in the housing, you know, we have a housing crisis, there isn't enough good quality homes for people. And actually, if we're driving, you know, the trend is to drive out, out of the cities and away from density. What does that do, you know, to the environment? Is it a, is it a good thing? It is polarizing putting it into is it good or bad but what is the impact because like you said you know we would normally rely on public transport which is a much more efficient way of carrying a lot of people you know for, for the amount of carbon that's produced building in density means that people could potentially commute less for example but there is sometimes the compromise of you know um, air quality space um, you know, outside space and things like that. I don't know, you know, I'm just thinking maybe there's some sort of middle ground, you know, everything in moderation, not something I'm particularly good at, but <laughs> it's always been a lifelong struggle. But, everything, you know, if we can find some sort of middle ground, would that be the solution? Uh, well, I personally think there might be a more of an emphasis on um, some of the smaller towns so this you've got that infrastructure within within a town uh that people might start looking to to their uh to to their for for, for you know moving out of the bigger cities and maybe shopping in in those sort of places as opposed to going into the big cities to do their shopping and i just wonder whether with the demise of high streets particularly in the smaller sort of regional towns whether this could be a new renaissance uh, yeah. for those centers where we look at repurposing some of the traditional shops into other types of businesses and um you know, yeah all of that and i i just think it, that's quite an exciting proposition that um rather than all being concentrated in the big metropolitan areas that maybe uh, our towns now might have a, a new lease of life and a role to play uh, in, in the way our communities and societies develop. And, and it could still be very, um, you know, uh, climate friendly. Um, yeah, we're going to go back to being the village people. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> the good old YMCA's get back in fashion. I, no, I think it's really, uh, um interesting idea and it's almost like utopia where where we actually do go back to the back to basics of of smaller um communities that are sustainable in their own right because you you've got the butcher the baker the candlestick maker and every every that that small economy is a small economy and an ecology and it has it has dependence but it's not so um it's not so polarizing that Actually, you've got a lot of smaller ones, and as a as a piece of sort of tapestry, they all fit nicely together, and it's a more sustainable uh, future, if you like, because you're not putting enormous amounts of pressure just on one part of a country or an economy. Um, so that that would be that would be you know utopia, wouldn't it? I think it'd be really I think it'd be a really interesting um, 
scenario uh, and I think it's something that's worth exploring and um, the Landscape Institute is a partner on with the High Streets Task Force and of course the um, high streets have been badly affected by COVID um, but in between lockdowns um, some of the high streets have actually benefited from local people um, just who are working at home just popping time to go and grab some food and have a coffee with friends and so on. Uh, and if you take COVID out of the situation and, and the, those places open again and people are working from home, it could really breathe new life into towns. And um, maybe some of these towns that have been on the sort of gradual wind down might uh, see a new lease of life, which would be fantastic. Because I think actually for community um, cohesion, uh, it would, it, I, I think it would improve things. I think it, uh, more, more cohesive, slightly smaller communities are probably better than the sort of larger metropolitan communities. But well, um, the other part is for once that, um, you know, Transport for London might actually have the right capacity. <laughs> the silver lining and everything. And the silver lining might be that actually, eventually we've recalibrated the pressure on the system and now actually it works. It's always shouldn't be so it, it's just been under enormous pressure you know for the last five years or more but it hasn't been able to keep up and now we've had this um blip if you like it's it's had you know it too has had the opportunity to stand back and breathe and think okay well maybe I can only carry this many pa passengers sustainably and um and maybe we'll have a yeah a different type of you know the city I've been into the city since uh, since COVID since the since March and it was it was incredible it was like some sort of dystopian movie where I was like I can't it's it's like everything's alive but not it was weird <laughs> so weird and and I you know like some sort of you know um, civilization that just got up and left um and we did but it would be nice to see again that kind of life life breathe back into it but perhaps at a more sustainable level so we've got an evenness across all of the the pressures that have been in essentially in i, I guess you could say in silos or in pockets and that would be a lovely way to think that we could take the world forward do you think then leslie that um you know, the, the the value of land has always been a, a, a big issue. I mean, you were just saying every developer wants to get as much out of every square metre that they possibly can because it's you know down to money at the end of the day. Do you think there'll ever become a time when green space itself will have uh, such a high value that not every uh, derelict site in every city will have to be uh, developed? Yeah to the back a curb I, I do because going back to the point around you know landsec recognizing the the importance of placemaking and and actually the consumers um, or the occupiers experience you know people are leaving because they don't have what we've just talked about you know those in Birmingham are saying I so actually there's a real driver there to say well how do I keep my occupancy really high through thick and thin through pandemics and, and you know, non-pandemics. And the consumer has a very powerful role to play in that. So it does drive decisions. Um, and that's where I think, you know, we've come full circle in terms of what the value proposition is for the consumer 
about what they're willing to pay for, what they're willing to accept. And you you also said that there's, you know, there's a real recalibration of that. And to that end, that's where developers need to be really understand what their consumers want. And, and we do spend a lot of time trying understanding what, what the trends are and how they evolve and what's important to people and how to give the best um, living and now sometimes working um, experience for people because we want them to stay. We want them to um, build a healthy, um, organic community and to give back and put down roots. And if we don't build what they want, they will leave. So I think, yes, Jane, is that we, I believe we'll get to a point because human, we're now recalibrating how important that is to us and it is important. Thank you both very much for such an engaging discussion. Um, I just thought that maybe we need to bring all these different subjects to a close. And I, uh, I thought it might be interesting to look ahead to uh, COP26, the UN's Climate Change Challenger Conference in November, which is actually on the very near horizon now. I wonder if you both had a message you'd like to send to COP26 on the back of the discussion you've just had. I, th I think uh, what we'd like um, them to really consider is, is not just looking at climate change in its, you know, uh, on its own. It's got to be part of uh, the bigger picture of biodiversity loss and the crisis that we're facing there, but also the the health uh, the health crisis that we're facing, and, and that's excluding um, COVID at the moment. And I. I do feel that um, they should be really promoting um, us taking a, uh, a natural capital approach to ensure that we have environmental net gain in, in everything that we do, that ev everything that we develop, um, uh, and to make sure that uh, as well as uh, mitigation, we should be looking at the way uh, we adapt adaptation is so important and is not probably taken as seriously as it could be but particularly adapting our towns and cities um, to um, withstand what we are inevitably going to have higher temperatures and more floods and so on so i think we're going to need um, and i'd like to see coming out of of, of cop 26 a real step change in what the um, building and construction industry, um, how we can contribute worldwide um, in terms of prioritizing these issues. That would be my takeaway. Thank you. That's impressive. I, I've got, I've got, I don't know if I've got much to add to that. I, I like the point, uh, Jane, that you just said there around net gain. And I think that there's something to be said around using a carrot rather than a stick. Um, when it comes to motivating businesses and developers and um, consumers in the right way and raising awareness of why they're doing that and essentially helping them to join the pieces together of how what you do as an individual, what you do as a business impacts what you do as a country, which impacts what you do as a world. And we're all in this together. And I'm always a fa fan of doing things that motivate positive, positively rather than are about making things difficult or they're, they're somehow penalizing people so you know that could be things like 
you know, tax breaks or, you know, motivations of credits somehow for um, the development, developers, investors, um, even consumers, you know, and putting, putting some things in place that are proactive and move towards making people smile. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, let's hope some uh, equally positive messages can actually come out of COP26. Um, thank you both very much again, and thank you for listening. Please do continue the conversation via the Women in Property Twitter account, which is at WIP UK and hashtag the word, or by visiting our podcast page on the Women in Property website. Thank you.